there, social movement folks. I hope that you are all doing an okay under this new uh, code yellow on campus, those of you that are on campus, and that everyone who is not on campus is likewise hanging in there. Um, we, I am here with Joel, Professor yeah, Wicklin, as my usual. My microphone's tangled over here, hang on. All right, you can settle. Stuck in the, <laughs> stuck in the gym bay. Gem there that's goes. being used as a little All right. stand um, in our professional podcast. The studio. studio. <laughs> um, the studio. So we are going to talk about chapters three and four of uh, Santiago Andrea's book on uh, the Bolivian Moss. Great. Continuing our conversation from last week. Jump right in. If yep. you Jumping like. right in. Okay. Um, whoa, we're at page 100. Mixed-member proportional electoral systems, or MMPs, like the one used in Bolivia, force parties to produce individual district candidates alongside a party list. As the literature shows, party leadership tends to become more central to selection and candidate list placement as district magnitude increases. Thus, it is likely that popular organizations will be able to exert more influence on selection for single-member district candidates than for proportional representation parties, party candidates. Excuse me. So I got to refresh my memory on the argument of this book. The argument of this book is that it's surprising that the MAS, as it institutionalizes as a party, does not depart from its sort of social movement roots and become more professionalized and bureaucratized, but instead stays kind of a chaotic, non-programmatic mess. Um, chaotic mess. I'm not sure I would say non-programmatic, but okay. non-oligarchified. Uh, <laughs> right, that's word, right, elitist. Right. Yeah, that it, right. it doesn't fully move to this kind of top-down right, thing. Right, that's right. So the two chapters that they read, the first one is about candidate selection as an example of the way that there's sort of, that this candidate selection has not taken a uniform top-down mm -hmm. approach, and then the uh, chapter four is on policy making, um, which I'll introduce a little bit when we get to that chapter. Okay. And so one reason I'm seeing here, one this is setting up a little bit of just like the basics of the electoral system. Right. But this also, it seems like this is a significant variable in keeping it from being too bureaucratized and or elitified or whatever we. Well, it's saying no. that. One, the the single member districts lead themselves to more um, input from the social movements than the proportional lists do. So one of the things that we know um, about electoral systems, and I'm going to ask my students a little bit okay. if they can come up with some of the logic here, which you might maybe you can help. Can them I help with them a out a little bit? Um, is why is it the case? that proportional systems end up with more sort of top-down party, sort of strong party, uh, than single-member districts? Well. So we're in the U.S. single-member districts. Right? You're which are more candidate-centered. More candidate-centered. Than party-centered. Yes. Why? Well, I mean, I guess because... A single-member district is reliant on a fairly specific geographic coalition, 
whereas a multi-member district is going to be a larger section of the relevant, it's going to be a larger jurisdiction. Correct. And there's going to be, I mean, I wish we had this, but honestly, uh, multi-member mm-hmm. proportional representation, then we might have more, more parties. Right. And this um, is a nice, one of the things about the MMPs, these mixed member proportional systems that's kind of cool is that both systems have benefits and drawbacks. Right. And so basically the systems that have done a combination of both, there's other parts of Latin America. I don't, I can't tell you, I'm not a good election specialist, but there's other places that have adopted these that have basically made part of the election, elect the elected officials come through these proportional rep districts yeah. and some through single members so that it kind of allows both what both are good at. It just seems like multi-member districts that are larger districts are designed to solve certain kinds of problems of regional coordination. I mean, not sol- they're not in designed to solve it, but they have the benefit of, of like helping a helping with regional governance. Right. Right. And that in that way, in that way, they're not quite the same way designed to serve the goals of ambitious office seekers. Well, I think insofar as the office seekers are ambitious, which I think it, they do serve the goals of ambitious office seekers, but I think they serve them through party loyalty, right? Rather than as opposed to through like friends and neighbors, friends and neighbors, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So this is just setting up that there are these two different modalities of, of yeah. uh, electoral rules that are operating at simultaneously. I favor the ones that get us more parties. Personally. Page 101. In single-member districts, the key for electoral success is the candidate's personal reputation and support within the district. This is why I hate this. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's like, a, it is. It, it, it just encourages, I mean, I'm going to say something that might offend someone, but like it just encourages like the continuation of the student council. Like, it's a popularity, no popularity contest. contest. <laughs> right, but in this case, whether that, that is true, and we will see pros and cons I didn't to win. <laughs> but you didn't run ever, did you? Yeah, I ran for um, vice president That's of my funny. high school student council. It's hilarious. I didn't win. I mean, that's fine. And I ran for a president of my student senate in college. Did you know you that? I didn't win that either. I didn't win that. I was in a three. I I I was a sort of a spoiler candidate. I didn't have. There were no. <laughs> this is a little this more personal. But you yeah, don't know this. Amazing. Do you not? You know, you've never heard this I story. I don't think so. But we probably shouldn't go too far go into. Too far. All right. Not because right. I don't oh, want to hear right. the story, or that some of the students probably wouldn't. But we do have. All right, all right, all right. Page 101, single member districts, the key for electoral... I was just going back. I was just trying to get there. I was just (laughs) trying to read. Go back, read it, read it. All right, you you tell me you want to go, and then we go. (laughs) All right. For proportional representation candidates, the key to electoral success (laughs) is the overall strength of the party ticket. Parties often use these candidates to diversify their lists and attract maximum electoral support. Candidates can emerge with strong organizational backing, but they are likely to be acceptable to multiple organizations or attractive to particular social groups. When he says organizational there, he's talking about the social movement organizations. So they could, they could emerge from like a strong push from a social movement, but they have to be broader than just that movement. But that's good. That can be good. 
Indeed. I mean, when's it not good? Well, <laughs> so when is it not good to have a broader appeal than just a particular uh, particularized interest group? I think when sometimes you're trying to meet the needs of an interest group that isn't going to be met in coalition politics. I mean, the coalitional stuff is complicated here, and we see the ways okay. in which the coalition building, where the movements are able to build broader coalitions in the grassroots, mm -hmm. or where they are able to kind of like cooperate, that, okay. that they are better, we're, I'm like scooping this, but that they will be better able to um, also sort of keep their own autonomy from, and their own kind of voice in the okay. politics outside of this. But that, I mean, I think it's interesting to actually look into the case. I don't really want to talk too abstractly okay, about this too much until, I, I think it's a- Are we going to talk about the case? Yeah, but okay. I, want, I want to side note that conversation for when we actually have some concrete examples that we can think about the pros and cons. I Tabled. Let's table Put on it. the djembe. All right. Um, page 101. It is the failure of coordination among grassroots actors that in general creates an organizational opportunity for the party leadership to centralize power. Specifically, on page 102, I argue that the presence of civil societies that are strongly organized, autonomous, and united. You've underlined united. I think it was uh, in uh, italics in the book. Ah, uh, okay. But I didn't tell. Can generate politically consequential pressures from below that are crucial for shaping candidate selection processes. These pressures can serve as strong limits on the decision-making power and self-regarding political objectives of the top party leadership. Okay. So he's saying organization autonomy, and unity. Correct. So strong organizations, in other words. Strong organizations, but also organizations where there are multiple organizations that are able to actually collaborate. In Bolivia, it's a multi-member party system, multi-member proportional representation, MMP, mm -hmm. electoral system, which means that the party, like the MAS, What's the MMP stand for? Mixed member? Mixed, mixed member? member. Mixed member, sorry. Um, that this tends to, that this electoral system tends to prioritize and privilege centralized party leadership. No, no. The, the mixed member proportional system just means you got two things operating at once that have different logics. And it's an interesting way to think about looking at candidate selection because you have these actual two electoral systems in one. Okay. So in Bolivia, there's two electoral systems in one. Basically. There are candidates elected in SMDs and single-member districts and, the, and also candidates elected on proportional lists. Okay. Okay. All right. Does that make sense? Yeah. That was just setting up the stage. Well, it was very confusing. <laughs> This podcast is off the rails from the get. <laughs> but it's very confusing. I mean, you have to admit that having a having a mixed electoral system is kind of confusing. <laughs> so it's perhaps true. Um, as I said a minute ago. <laughs> You'd like to move on. No. It preserves the benefits of both systems, which is that it keeps 
some of the Congress people closer to their constituents. constituents. And it allows for the party to then balance out those localized interests in a more generalized way. But that when we're thinking about this, like Michelle's or Michael's, I still haven't looked up the pronunciation, law of oligarchy, uh -huh. right? That we, even if we're just thinking about this in terms of the systems that we know, that we know that the sort of top-down party is, will, be more, will be more likely to see that on the proportional list. That those are more likely to come from this kind party of more top-down process where the party is identifying people to put in here to fill out their sort of representational bundle versus the SMDs where Santi expects to find more of these people coming out of the social movement tradition more directly. Okay. Okay. Is that clearer? I think so. I think so. And in order to preserve the political potency of the movements themselves, they must be organized, autonomous, and united. So to, if we're thinking about what tendencies are, where is it that we actually see this push, strongest push against this top-down kind of mm -hmm. oligarchization or whatever, elite, mm -hmm, increasing mm -hmm. elitism, it is where you have movements that have those characteristics. Right. Let's, mm -hmm. If we keep going, we'll get okay. to some more concrete examples. Page 108 eventually. to 110. Moving right along. Bolivia is no exception to the rule that urban areas are generally more heterogeneous than rural areas. In some urban districts, the diffusion of power among grassroots organizations leads to a situation where agreement on candidates is difficult. While in other cases, the organizational density, i.e. the presence and strength of organizations aligned with mass, is significantly lower. Where there are strong organizations but no consensus among them, the leadership is likely to choose a candidate acceptable to a majority of local organizations. Where organizations are weak, however, the leadership is likely to select candidates that will help to build alliances to existing organizations or to attract support from particular groups that may increase electoral returns. Okay. So here we're seeing top-down selection, where we don't have this pattern, right? of united strong groups. Mm -hmm. You're gonna see the mass picking the candidates. So we have some examples that maybe I don't know if I gave a good quote of where in some of these places, I think maybe there's some, I think maybe coming, but where the, the movements are literally picking the candidates through their own processes and those candidates are then on the mass ticket. We talked about okay. this a little bit last week. So this is sort of where we see that there can still be strong social movement organizations, but if those social movement organizations are having conflicts, mm -hmm. right, or even if they're not having conflicts, they, but just they, don't just, have, they don't have areas they're of not, overlapping agreement. Right, consensus. they're not coordinating right. their sort of leadership proposal, then you're more likely to get the mosque to just give somebody that they think will be acceptable, right, to the various groups. Mm -hmm. So they'll be like, oh, this guy like worked in this and that and the other, and people will like him, and so we'll put him forward, right? Mm -hmm. And then in the weak groups, of course, we from the very start had expected that where you see weak movements, we would mm -hmm. expect to see the party having a more heavy hand, heavy hand central role in, in actually, you know, trying to okay. build coalitions from the top down. Okay, now I've got an arrow here to go to page 115. 
In urban areas, there are usually no clearly identifiable organizations that exert dominance over the territory. Rather, there is a multiplicity of neighborhood associations, professional associations, cooperatives, unions, and the like. Since they usually are in competition during the selection process, these competing organizations often have difficulty agreeing on preferred candidate. When conflicts arise and competing organizations cannot reach agreement, a small party elite that often includes the president himself acts as an arbiter and has the last word. The failures of coordination among autonomous grassroots actors create an organizational space for the leadership to centralize power. So that seems like it's kind of an amplification of what you were just saying. Absolutely. It gives a little bit of a more concrete version of it, which is like you actually still, I mean, one of the arguments here has been about movement autonomy, right? And here one of the things you see is that these could still be autonomous movements, right? They're not being bossed around mm -hmm. from above necessarily, but because they couldn't coordinate some mm -hmm. kind of agreement that you still end up getting this sort of more like law of oligarchy moment happening where the mass is choosing the candidate from this very high centralized, right? Morales mm -hmm. himself is picking these candidates with, you know, a small group of, of other people. Um, so I think there you see that kind of, that what we, the pattern that you would expect. Um, so I have a question about the distance between, like, is party leadership not coming from the organizations? Like, so how distant? One of the things that I think if you read the next, next one? Okay. quote, which is, I think, from the vice president, who is actually now the president-elect of the country. Prior to... An oh, no, wait, he's not the vice... No, not the that, vice president, it's Arce. I think I have a quote from him later, but... Yeah, no, I've got... It's page 112, so I've got one more. Is it from more. Liniera, though? It's not from Arce, right? This one. It's from Liniera. Yeah, he was the vice president, not the president-elect. Should I just keep reading? What mm -hmm. should I read? This quote from vice president? I think so. I'll skip one, then. Okay. Uh, as Vice President Alvaro Garcia Linares commented in an interview, page 112, because these candidates are not hand-picked, they are not the candidates of the party in a strict sense. They are selected by grassroots organizations as a function of their territorial power, and they are representatives of those organizations. So this is a quote that, like, suggests great distance between the organizations and the party. I think the thing that I've come to see, I mean, I look forward to talking to Santi a little more about this, is there are a gazillion groups, and they are not at all centralized, and the MAS hasn't centralized them, but in a way, what we see later on is just sort of piggybacked on them in a way that didn't require them to build additional capacity. And they only built the capacity the mass only built the capacity. Where they had to expand outside of their core social movements. <clears throat> but in these core social movements, lots of this stuff is happening. I mean, in some ways, you see there's this moment that I also wanted to talk to Santi about a little bit where the groups just kind of align with the mass and then run candidates as the mass. And this one group that had this like crazy right-wing student group kind of associated with it tries to like run a candidate for the mass. And the mosque does eventually put its foot down, which Santa uses as an example of like this kind of elitism or whatever. But it's like, well, whoa, like that's like way outside of the party's 
kind of ideology and would have given this bizarre inclusion of a group that now, while I feel a like, movement was like very... So I feel like a minute ago you were kind of giving me the side eye when I said that it didn't sound like a very programmatic party. No, but this was actually where the Moss puts his foot down and doesn't accept this. Right, but like, I mean, that's pretty... It still seems like what you just described, I'm still imagining, maybe I'm incorrectly imagining it, but I'm still imagining a really broad coalition. Broad coalition, but on the left. Okay, okay. This is what I was trying to say before. This isn't a party that's like swinging back and forth radically between... Or even contain, not necessarily swinging, but even containing lots of ideological diversity. Yes, but all on the left. Right, bounded by, there's like a hard bound... Yeah, but I don't think we would say that makes it unprogrammatic. Yeah, no, no. Now I understand. Yeah. Now I understand. Okay. I mean, whether people would argue whether it is or is not programmatic is sure. a different question, but I don't think it's because of whether or not. Right. The, it's a, well, it got a lot of left-wing movements affiliated. But I think what we can say, maybe, is was the other quote that was there around there about how it's super heterodox? You move fast, maybe not. I thought there was one quote, but maybe it's later. Mm. No. No. All right, just keep moving then. Okay. Uh, page 116. Although the selection of plurinominal, plurinominal candidates, that's more than... That's the multi-member, multi-member. The pu- okay. proportional districts. Plurinominal candidates is more centralized and exclusive and therefore more prone to top-down control. It serves as a part of a deliberate strategy of addition that allows for the incorporation of sectors and groups that do not have a territorial or an institutional corporate base. The idea here is to include everyone. That is, professionals, non-professionals, intellectuals, non-intellectuals, indigenous and non-indigenous, middle-class women, and so on. It is in that sense that our project is one of inclusion and not of exclusion. This is a quote from someone, not named here. This mechanism allows the MAS to balance its electoral lists and is seen by the leadership as an inclusionary way to give representation to urban middle classes. And continuing along uh, over to 117, some plurinominal candidates, particularly those without such a background, I guess a middle class background? I think a movement background. Movement background, okay. Um, Sorry. Without a movement background, are generally seen as unwelcome competitors by rural and peasant organizations and by candidates that emerge from these rural and peasant organizations. Okay, so they just are like wide open to anyone on the left. And sometimes it causes a little friction. So if we think about this from going back, right, this starts out as a peasant party. That was very geographically bounded. Mm-hmm. That was strongly rooted in the Cocoleros and the peasants, and who saw the MAS as their political instrument, right? And then as they expand... It was gentrifying. In order to, yeah, I mean, in a way, right? As they expand into national power, then they indeed have to appeal to broader audiences, right? And as you say, coalition building can be really good. But as they do this, right, which is the only reason that they're able to be in control... Right, mm-hmm. through this coalition building. But then all of a sudden, yeah. well, now there's this top down process where people are being named that represent constituencies that you got are a Walgreens not on the corner. Part of the Campesino's initial 
uh, group, mm -hmm. right? Whatever you want to call that sort of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that they have moved out and that this has been, we could think about it as an inclusive process, but still a top-down process. Um, right, and it doesn't sound like everyone favors the inclusion. Everyone does not favor the inclusion, though they probably do favor winning national office and being in charge of the presidency. Sure. Right. Right, and Walgreens may be a better employer than the bodega. It might be. Might not be. It might not be. But it might be. Might be. Uh, stir in the pot here. Stir in the pot. <laughs> I can't help myself. I got to stir tonight, the pot. You're on fire here with uh, your uh, sassy comments. <laughs> I can't help it, you know? It was that Zoom we were on. It made me feel... We were on a Zoom about race in our graduate program that we both did our PhDs in. And it was an intense Zoom. It was an intense Zoom. It was pretty long, and it was pretty intense. Got me wound up. All right, page 117. It is possible, and that apple crisp I made tonight was really, it was a good one. It <laughs> was, was a like, good apple crisp. It was a good one. Was it's like the third, third time's a charm. Maybe, so. Maybe the flu shot's gone to your head. Too. Could be, or that zinc I took afterward. <laughs> yeah. All right, page 117. It is possible that, quote, unquote, invited mosque candidates and social movement representatives do not form any sort of organic group with shared or corporate social and political interests and incentives. That is, they do not form an oligarchy. This was the quote I was thinking about. At best, they represent a temporary group of assorted representatives from diverse base organizations and a loose... Yes, this sounds like the mosque to me. Yes. A temporary group of assorted representatives from diverse base organizations and a loose coalition. Right? I thought this actually perfectly described this question that I feel like you have been like pushing this whole time and that I was like, oh, right. This is like... Even the parts that are top down are still this like extraordinarily loose heterodox coalition. Right? Yeah, I mean, it seems to me like the best metaphor here is that like I feel like the moss is like a net yeah. that is thrown into the ocean trying to catch fish or whatever, and like. If the school of fish is going really hard, like pulling in one direction, like then the whole thing moves in that direction. But otherwise, it's like this inchoate. Well, we'll look a little bit. There's actually, when we get to the policymaking chapter, which is coming yeah. up very soon, we'll Kay. see some of that dynamic. But I think it's more like the mass is throwing out, I'm going to make another nautical reference just good, since we're on this. Good. But it's like they're throwing out the, what is it, the life uh, preserver, you know, that mm -hmm. donut thing. Mm -hmm. And like a left group or an intellectual urban group or whatever mm -hmm. can grab it and climb up mm -hmm. into the boat if they want and if their politics are reasonably aligned. Right. It's, you know what, you know, better metaphor is it's like the Grateful Dead's bus. You know, you it get might, on the bus. Might, I think it is kind of like the Grateful Dead. It Dead's seems bus. more like the Grateful Dead's bus. Like yeah. the bus is coming through. And if you yeah. want to get on, you can get on. Right. And if you want to. Yeah. That's cool too. Yeah. And if you, you, you're making the decision about, I was trying to think, how could it be like the Grateful Dead's bus? But, but it is a sort of moment where it's like, if you think that's going to take you where you're trying to go, you jump on the bus. Right. But if you're like, I'm not going there. I'm going down to Big Sur. 
Yeah. Got this big baggie of mushrooms. <laughs> I'm going to Big Sur. You are a mess tonight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Page one twenty. Joel's never been to Big Sur with a baggie of mushrooms. <laughs> just to be clear. Yeah. The last. <laughs> he person. lost his student so, body election. That's exactly know? right. That's exactly right. I mean, the person who won didn't isn't doing that either. <laughs> oh, no, <it> <laughs> Let's be real here. Uh, the patterns show on page one twenty four that in a context where the territory is so di is divided into competing grassroots organizations, having good relationships with the party and government can help to shift the balance of power in one's favor during the selection process. Yeah, so you do better if you make nice with the party. If you have friends at the top. Yeah, that's always true. When's that not true? I feel like that statement is always true. It's I better if you've got friends at the I top. I think it's less helpful in the um, districts where the autonomous... I think that one comes into play more when there is conflict, right? Okay, so you have I a think, note that's telling me that you're going to read one. I am. I'm okay. going to talk a little bit. Um, but the the... I think what's important here is that that process matters less mm -hmm. in the rural areas where the social movements are literally putting using their own decision-making procedures to decide on the candidates. Okay. Right? So it matters very little whether you have friends in high places. Okay. Where it starts to matter whether you have friends in high places is, Was again, dense organization? in these situations where... Organization dense... Place, the urban areas. The urban areas where there are going to be multiple conflicting, or at least... I mean, part of what I'm getting from this book is that the urban-rural divide is just really significant in Bolivia. I think like, I mean, it's significant everywhere, yeah. but the, the, the degree of significance sounds pretty hefty, even just in terms, like, even in terms of how elections work. Right, in terms of the MAS. Now, I think if you okay. were looking at a different party, I mean, I think we saw clientelistic practices in both rural and urban areas with other okay. parties, and I don't think that it would look so different, but I think the MAS is pretty different in this way. Okay. All right, so now we're actually moving on into the next chapter, into Chapter 4, which is about um, policymaking. Um, so how that representation is transmitted to policymaking. So one of the things that we saw um, here, and that you might remember, I think this came up in last week, is just that a huge amount of then um, mass, sort of these people from these very movement backgrounds end up in Congress, right? But we also talked about how Congress is relatively weak compared to the executive, which is true in gotcha. much of Latin America. Okay, right. So the where the most prominent place for these people to be in positions of power tends to be in the legislative body, which is not the strongest. Still matters, but this is not as strong as the executive. So it's looking about sort of how has um, this sort of social movement power trans, like been, okay, we see that it has mattered in terms of candidate selection, that the social movements are still placing their people in mm -hmm. Congress. Mm -hmm. But then does it actually trans transform into um, policy making? And we certainly saw that there were some huge initial wins um, once Evo comes to power, right? So 
he immediately followed through on a lot of the kind of social movement demands that were part of what carried him to the presidency. So there was increasing national control of hydrocarbons. There was an agrarian reform that was put through. Uh, a new constitution was made that did a lot to highlight the Bolivia's indigenous mm -hmm. communities uh, and give power to them. Uh, and so Santi shows in this broadly sort of the what we see in this part of the book, right, in this chapter, is the ways that the social movement base has been able to get issues on the agenda, right, that they're able to sort mm -hmm. of push issues onto the agenda, um, push for passage of things that they like and block or even have policies rescinded in some cases using both formal legislative power, access to the executive, or street mobilization. So that they've been able to use these multiple tools somewhat in the legislature, um, but also importantly, sort of direct pressure on the executive where some of these relationships, these very good mm -hmm. relationships and whatnot, right, have a sort of link to the executive, to Morales, and then also we have seen that this has not been a period without street mobilization. So right. they didn't all just fall in line, right? Like the whole population didn't fall in line once Abo becomes president, that there right. has been still mobilization uh, to push for certain things. So am I understanding that in the scope of the course as a whole, this unit that we're talking about is largely focused on the relationship between social movements and parties. formal part and practical politics, electoral politics. Yes. Which always means parties. Yes. Okay. And it's the most linked that we've seen, right? So that we've yeah. looked at, you know, if we think about the um, gay rights movements that we talked about from the DS book, right, they were certainly using like kind of lobbying strategies, right? And they had people that they, you know, like where they had people that were in positions of power and either were themselves gay about, or were. It was about links, whereas this is really about a party kind of trying to contain movements. And like what happens movements. if you're a movement and you actually try to take over power? Right. right. So, I mean, right. I think to me that one of the things that I thought was interesting about this example is and it's, a, it's an example where you have a movement take over not through revolution. Right. Right. We know that revolutions are rare in uh, democratic contexts. And so here we have an example of a movement that comes to power through electoral means. Um, Which meant also, though, it seems to me, what I'm picking up thus far is that not just a movement, but like it needed many movements, many movements yes. in order Yes, and that what we've seen in many of these examples, too, is just that, like, coalition building, like, we haven't actually seen movement success without coalition building. Right. And where we've seen lacks of coalition building, we've actually seen lack of, uh, that, that, that has been tied quite intent, uh, tightly to mm -hmm. success or lack thereof. All right, I've got a big chunk here, so bear with me. Page 135. There's been a strong resistance against institutionalizing the relations between the party's grassroots social bases and the MAS, partly because movement leaders think that formalizing these linkages might lead the MAS to operate as a conventional political party, i.e. one with top-down control associated with a formal hierarchical elite structure. 
Insofar as these mechanisms remain absent, Morales is a referee and no one challenges his decisions. Page 136, the MAS's bureaucracy is strikingly underdeveloped. The party has very limited professional paid staff, amazing, not much equipment or records of membership and finances, incredible. Uh, page 138, according to a key advisor to the party, the formal party organs do not have the strength or experience to propose anything, really. Their work focuses that. more on dealing with intra-party conflicts and with conflicts that arise within allied social organizations over power struggles. And finally, on page 138, instead of relying on bureaucratic party structures, Morales prefers to have direct, unmediated consultations with the leadership of grassroots organizations prior to making decisions. So, okay, here's what I've taken from this big mass of quotes, mm -hmm. okay? Is that there is no real institutionalization of the party in terms of rules and norms is that it is still a chaotic mess that just happens to have the president at the top. Like, right. it has access to the president. And so... It's able to get and shit. And has a lot of congressmen right. and women. I mean, it's, not, it's right. actually much more gender egalitarian. Legislative members. Yeah. So it seems to me like the party is successful. So, I mean, it seems like it really all hinges on the fact that they still control the presidency at the time of this, at the time of this book was writing. Right, I mean, it stays very true to its movement roots before it takes power. It has this very rapid rise to power, which is different than many movement mm -hmm. parties, right? Mm -hmm. Who toil, 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 toil before they end up having some kind of national kind of... Now, is it just me being like, you know... Um an really elitist? Young, just always terrified of is it just me being an elitist? But like, it seems to me like it would have been smarter to work on some institution building. I mean, I think this is actually a fascinating question. And I mean, it's another thing that as we're starting to brainstorm this week, discussion, or not discussion, but um, questions to yeah. talk with Santi about. Like, like, I can't tell if that's just a habitual response that I have because I'm a political scientist and we're big about institutions. Well, but I mean, you look at what happened with the whole situation with Avo and his concentration of power and his yeah. like unwillingness to step down yeah. and his right and you're like yeah well, flouts enough rules like, that finally there's like a coup right well we're I mean that I wouldn't say flouts enough rules that finally there's a coup but flouts some rules and then also there's a coup um, you're not you're not you don't you don't accept a causal relationship there uh. There was a lot of other additional sure. factors. It's not my... It, that, I, yeah. I mean, the OAS kind of stepped in and said it was fraudulent, and they were wrong. We so, talked about the OAS last semester. They're worthless they anyway, right? <laughs> well, they ended up mattering in this moment. Do you think they mattered? They did, I think. Anyway. Um, yeah, that's something for Santi. But I think it's an interesting question uh, about whether or not it would be better. I mean... It even goes back to this conversation we just ha we listened to really on race at our mm -hmm. graduate institution, right? It's like, would some of these situations be better? With more formalized with rules. With more formalized institutionalization, transparent rules, this kind of thing. Would it be a better thing? And I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting question because – 
I think that we do often, I mean, I don't know. Sure. I don't know. I, I haven't, I'm, we will talk about the comparative chapters to the FA in Uruguay and the PT in Brazil. So okay. in Brazil, the PT, I mean, the PT was its own mess. Um, so I'm sort of curious to, I don't know that much about the FA in Uruguay. So that'll be an interesting comparison case. One that I think is far more institutionalized. Right? Okay. It's Uruguay for that, you know. Right, so. right. That sounds like Uruguay. Sounds like Uruguay. All right. Uh, cruising right along here on page 141 and 142. The presence of representatives coming from grassroots organizations serves the purpose of having access to privileged information, which allows them to obstruct or modify legislation if it threatens their group interests. From the point of view of the MAS leadership, the unwanted consequences that some of the groups that join the MAS then become pressure or veto groups from within, making it difficult to pass legislation in Congress. There are also pressure groups from without by leading resistance to legislation in the streets. Yeah, it sounds like chaos. It sounds like chaos, right? Political. But I mean, again, this is like that sort of other moment of like the heterodoxy by which they've expanded by just letting different groups in and letting them represent, like, basically select whoever they choose as yeah. representatives means that it's like, of course, there's still like autonomy from the leadership because it's like barely cohering as a, I mean, I don't know if it's truly barely cohering as a party. This is another, I guess, question for Santi, right? It's like, but how how much is this thing holding together versus, yeah. like, if you think about that these groups have truly stayed autonomous and are just kind of glommed onto the mass, you know, it does make it seem like it's barely a party, right? That it is truly this, like, bizarre sort of, you know, that, that the cocaleros want to call it the the political instrument, and you feel like, well, this is maybe more of a political mm -hmm, instrument mm -hmm. than a party, right? Like, um, so anyway, I think some interesting. I just, just like reading this has just made me have like a million more questions. I feel like. Yeah, I feel like my my impulse, sort of my habitual line of thinking that I began with is like, let's just have multi-member districts all over the place, right? Like right. We, what we need is like stronger parties with more regional coordination that actually like can reflect the way that contemporary life works in a globalized world that like everywhere should have these, right? Right. And now as we're talking about it, I guess I'm starting to question whether that's just a habitual line of thinking and whether this other way is possible to say nothing of it, whether it's desirable. Well, I think that it's actually partly a function of the fact that we have the other thing and we can easily see its weaknesses. Right. Right. So like we're in a country with SMD with first past the post kind of voting rate, like we're a very entrenched two-party system, right? So that that like makes it easy for us to imagine all the problems with that. Whereas I think if you were in a full um, proportional system, you would then be more likely see to see the weaknesses there. there. Sure. And so I think that some of it is like the, um, yeah, I think some of it is that it's like, easier in some ways to make the critique of your own system. Yeah, I guess though I was just trying to say I feel a little bit like, you know, now I'm a little more open to chaos, you I know? Mean, it's kind of fun. I kind of like it. All right, page 143. 
In ministries whose policies affect well-organized popular constituencies in a direct or visible manner, there's generally more pressure from these groups to influence decisions. In ministries whose policies affect more diffuse cross-sections of society rather than clearly defined constituencies, the pressure by collective actors is generally more dispersed. These agencies tend to lack strong links with grassroots organizations for consultation and cooperation. Okay, I don't think I followed that. Okay, so I'm going to give you some examples now from here. But it's basically like, I mean, the impulse is this. The, uh, like, what would it be? Like, I don't know if this is the right ministries, but like the, the agrarian ministry, whatever that's called, yeah, is much more likely to have this input directly because there's a clear constituency that's like has something to say about it than like the minister of the economy. Right. Okay. Right? Where it's less clear yeah. how the policies right. It's not like directly like this is my there's thing. definitely a public there's definitely an interest group tied to Right. So yeah. where you have a ministry that's like far more tied to directly tied to an interest group, you have more interaction between those movement groups and the ministries. Yeah. Right. That makes so sense. but this also we have this issue of how united or opposed they are. So um there is like um I don't know what the ministry of that deals with mining is called. It may be a minister of mining or whatever, but in any case, um there's a story uh that basically there's like these two sectors in the mining there's two groups in the mining sector. So there's the unionized workers that are part of one group. And then there's what are called cooperativist miners. And these two groups sometimes clash. And one of the things that's interesting, and this again gets at this question that we've been thinking about sort of batting around, is that there's this quote on page uh, 148 and 149. I don't know exactly where it is, but that the pressure... Uh, from both of these groups to get policy that is like their preferred policy and the quote says has made it virtually impossible to develop a more comprehensive mining law right so that basically because these two groups are fighting and some are sometimes in better favor and another or the other one is sometimes in better favor and that they're always resisting the other one's sort of yeah. changes that you have been the, like the MAS has been unable to actually legislate um because that there's these two very strong groups that don't necessarily agree. Um, so anyway, I thought that was an, an interesting example. Um, he, Santi then talks about, he goes through, there's a lot of examples. It's a little hard to think about how to give you some quotes from these, so I'm going to just describe a few. Um, he talks about three policies where movements um, attempted to block changes. Um, okay. So he talks about the first, this story of healthcare workers where um, the Morales government basically tried to extend working hours. Um, okay. And so he, uh, the health workers basically were able to be united. They were able to use their labor power, which is quite important, right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in a pretty powerful way. Um, there was the united sort of pressure to, revert back to the status quo of the old working hours, which were better for the, there were less working hours per week. Um, and they were able to exert enough pressure to like have that not pass, right? Okay. Or to rescind it if it, had, however it had gone, I can't remember. Um, 
so that was like one example where you get this like very focused and united mm-hmm. sort of movement that pushes and actually gets a policy change. So that's like one example where you get success. Then his next example where I give you actually a quote is from the um, Gasolinazo, um, which was the name for the mass protest that occurred after Morales tried to cancel the fuel subsidies. Gotcha. So he basically makes a decree that's like fuel subsidies are done here. He is like dealing with um, pressure from, uh, right, to deal, to make sound economic fiscal choices. Okay. He even coordinates to some degree with the social movement leaders, talks about this plan of like doing this, gets social movement leaders on board, um, and nonetheless protest blows up Mm -hmm. right it becomes a huge street mobilization so i think i gave you a quote yeah that uh morales brought aligned movement leaders on board but he did not automatically restrain socio-political pressure and conflicts from below neither morales nor the mosque can fully control popular mobilization from the top down right so i mean this is just an example unlike the healthcare workers who was a very focused right Mm -hmm. i mean i was like kind of clear, right, who you're talking about. This was a very much more Mm broad-based sort of, you had movement leaders that were on board, but they could not restrain the sort of base or the rank and file or whatever you want to call it from going out on the streets and protesting the the change, which would have had massive repercussions on people's everyday kind of life and livelihood. So if you're a movement that doesn't want to get co-opted by the electoral system, you should be in a broad-based coalition because your shit keeps moving forward even if they try to pick off some of your groups. Or your leaders. Some of your or leaders. your leaders. Yeah. So the upshot here is that if you're involved in movement politics, start making broad-based coalitions. Yeah. And don't ever totally sit down. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the other lesson. Mm-hmm. So the final example that we'll end on uh, for tonight is a example of um, another conflicted moment. Um, so there was another project that um, was called the Tipness Road, where the government, we talked about this in one of my sections a little bit, uh, I think my Friday section last week, but um, the government basically planned to build a highway through this national park, which okay. was also indigenous land. Okay. Right. Um, and as we've talked about, the indigenous population, like many of the indigenous groups in which there are multiple in Bolivia are quite organized, right? This was no exception. The indigenous groups that were affected by this Tipness Road mm-hmm. really saw it as like destroying their land, being problematic. So they mobilize. Um, and for like a moment, they kind of get some concessions to like pause the project. Um, but ultimately, Morales' core constituency, the sort of uh, the other groups of peasants and coca okay. growers want the road. So they counter-mobilize, right? And ultimately, Morales sort of sides with the sort of continuation of the road, mm-hmm. going with this sort of other group. So it was an example where you had, again, sort of like the beginning example of the miners. In the mi- case of the miners, it was actually hard for policy to be made because you had these conflicting groups. And here it was that the group close, more closely allied with the mass is the one that mm-hmm. wins right out on the, in the end, in this conflict over the Tipness Road. Um, 
So it's, again, a sort of interesting story of um, these sort of ways in which just the I mean, it's interesting to me to, I guess, just how mobilized, how social movementized so much of the yeah. um, groups seem to be in Bolivia. Um, yeah, so the question that I have for Santi, because the what you're describing to me sounds like hell if you're a party leader in any way. Yeah, I mean... And it, so I want to know who are the party, like, who is party leadership? Like, yeah. to me, that's just as a descriptive question. Who... Who signs up for this right. terrible job? Terrible job with like no resources and well and like the well the, and like I mean it's just impossible. How could you? I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, he says in maybe one of the quotes you even read that like their job is like primarily the job of a mediator. In, yeah. Right. That like what they're trying to do is, is like manage intra-party conflict. Yeah, it was yeah. there on page one thirty-six or something. Yeah. So anyway, this is this is our chapters from from <clears throat> for this week and. Um, Next week, the students don't have to read, and we will just talk about the comparative cases a little bit of the FA and the PT. Cool, cool. And we've got um, one more to do tonight. <laughs> you know, so if anyone wants to stick around and see what crazy <laughs> shit I say in that one, you can listen to the 249 podcast. No, it's always crazier in mine. <laughs> All right, guys. I uh, will see you, some of you on Wednesday and some of you on Friday. Take care. Give a little, take a little Let your poor heart break a little, but That's the story That's the glory of love Laugh a little, cry a little Let the clouds roll by, baby, a little, but Baby, that's the glory of love Long as there's the two of us to have the world and its charm. Long as there's the two of us oh, in each other's arms. Win a little, lose a little. Come on, have the blues, be a little bird, baby. That's the glory of love. There's the two of us To have the world and its charms Long as there's the two of us In each other's arms you gotta give. give a little, come on you little rascal Take a little Let your poor heart break, baby, little butt baby. That's the story of love That's the glory of love